0: Bonjour. Hello. Hola.
1: Welcome back to Your Planet from AFP, brought to you in association with The Conversation. I'm Anna Cunningham. Good to have you with us as we continue our journey together, exploring some of the possible solutions that could hold the key to moving planet Earth into a more sustainable future. We're examining those planetary boundaries, the red lines that scientists say must not be crossed or else we're in big trouble. This time, our focus is on water. It seems the most obvious thing to state, but without water, the one key building block to life on Earth, well, there is no life. From humans to animals to plants, nothing can survive without water. Earth is often known as the blue planet, and for good reason. Around 70% of Earth's surface is made up of water. But the problem for us is the majority of that is salt water. Barely 3% is fresh water and around 1% of that is clean, accessible drinking water. There are clear reasons to be concerned about the possibility of rising conflicts and tensions, not only within communities but also neighbouring countries linked to water. But what role does water diplomacy play? Stay with us as we explore more. This is Your Planet from AFP.
2: Water is humanity's lifeblood. From the food we eat to the ecosystems and biodiversity that enrich our world, to the prosperity that sustains nations, to the economic engines of agriculture, manufacturing, and energy generation, to our health hygiene and survival itself.
1: This was New York, March 2023 at the United United Nations Water Conference.
2: But water is in deep trouble. We are draining humanity's lifeblood through vampiric overconsumption and unsustainable use and evaporating it through global eating. We've broken the water cycle, destroyed ecosystems and contaminated groundwater.
1: Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, made his warning clear, echoing the conclusions of a UN and UNESCO report that sounded the alarm for Earth. The planet, they said, is at imminent risk of a global water crisis. From Uruguay to the Mississippi riverbanks, people are struggling with water shortages. For this American farmer, the low water levels have seriously impacted the transportation of his harvest.
2: But we're begging for a rain. I mean, it's just crazy. We need a good rain up north to get this river up and everybody would feel better. Everybody. The farmers, everybody. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy how everything's happening right now.
1: Water sources have been drying up as temperatures rise and even break records. China, for example, hit 52 degrees Celsius this year. That's nearly 126 degrees Fahrenheit. Iraq was a scorching 48. That's nudging 120 Fahrenheit. Richard Connor is a lead author of UNESCO's Water Report. He says between two and three billion people worldwide are experiencing water stress.
2: Worst-case scenario is quite simple. Populations, whether it's cities or even rural populations, cannot survive if they don't have enough water. So it will be uh, an exodus. It will either, they'll have to move or they will die.
1: Richard Connor is one of the many scientists worried about breaching the nine marked planetary boundaries, and in this case, water is one of those red lines that experts say we've already crossed. Let's get into the science part. Charlene decolange is a hydrologist-engineer based in Paris, working on the protection of water and water resources.
3: This is the planetary limit of what's called green water. That's water that is evapotranspired by plants. In other words, the rain that falls on the earth's surfaces is linked to the phenomenon of evapotranspiration by plants and forests in particular, which actually recycle rainwater. The fact that there is massive deforestation, intensive agriculture and urbanization have all profoundly altered this greenwater issue.
1: There's a colour identification system in play here. Green water is water that's absorbed into the earth and then evaporates. Blue water is for rivers and streams and grey water is wastewater.
3: Le grand cycle de l'eau à l'échelle mondiale. The big water cycle connects all our countries. In other words, we all know that water evaporates from the oceans and reaches the continents. Part of the rainfall that reaches the continents is therefore linked to this oceanic influence. But it's also, and this is rarely mentioned, linked to evapotranspiration
1: by plants. And when the water cycle goes awry, the whole planet suffers. It worries Charlene Decolonge.
3: Everything is linked. We have a sort of remote connection of the water cycle, so much so that when we deforest the Amazon, it has repercussions on rainfall in Peru. When we deforest in the Congo, there are consequences for rainfall in Nigeria. Once we have established the fact that the water cycle has no borders, that all the countries in the world are interconnected in this great water cycle, well, we realize that we'll need to talk to each other, to work together to predict and anticipate water crises regardless of the administrative borders that we have established.
1: So water does have a geopolitical dimension, and this is where water diplomacy comes into play. David Blanchon is an author and geographer at the University of Nanterre near Paris. He says there are different types of tension that can develop over water. On the one hand, these might simply be communities' access to drinking water. But there's also the issue of demand from all types of human activities, such as industry or agriculture. Here's David Blanchon.
0: When a country like Syria, Iraq or Egypt says we're going to run out of water, it's really for drinking water. This lack of water will have an extremely significant impact on agriculture.
1: Water is also essential in the production of energy. David Blanchon points to the Renaissance Dam built by Ethiopia on the Blue Nile River. Since construction started in 2011, the project has been bitterly contested by Egypt, which itself relies on this tributary of the Nile for 97% of its freshwater consumption.
0: L'Ethiopie. Ethiopia wants to assert itself as an emerging power in the east of the Horn of Africa thanks to hydroelectricity, which will enable Ethiopia, which used to be one of the poorest countries in the world, to become an emerging country. So there are geopolitical stakes that go far beyond the simple issue of building a dam.
1: Today, several dams are the subject of diplomatic tensions between countries. There's the dam built on the Euphrates River by Turkey, which affects Syria and Iraq, or the many dams built or financed by China on the Mekong that are essential for downstream countries such as Laos, Thailand, and Vietnam. But according to David Blanchard, water can also force cooperations between countries.
0: There's also another factor. Large dams are quite expensive. In fact, they're an extremely big investment. In order to obtain financing, especially in the countries of the south, you need access to international finance, the World Bank and so on. Or international donors who generally ask for an agreement, or at least that the situation be calm in the catchment area before investing.
1: So water diplomacy can be a solution, but evidently... Cooperation between countries takes time and requires lengthy negotiations. Perhaps one of the best examples is the management of the Colorado River Basin, shared between the United States and Mexico. It provides essential water supplies to approximately 40 million people and 30 tribal nations. Since the beginning of the 20th century, the river has been a regular source of tension, first over water allocation, then over water quality, and finally over the environment and drought, each time both sides have found a way to reach an agreement. Osfel Injosa is a Mexican biochemical engineer and water resources specialist. For 18 years, he was director of Pro Natura Noreste, an environmental association that worked on protecting the Colorado River Delta.
2: The
0: Colorado River rises in the Rocky Mountains. Then it runs through the entire Colorado River Basin, which includes seven states in the United States. And then it enters Mexico, and then it flows into the Gulf of California.
1: For years, Inojosa has followed and taken part in talks between the US and Mexico on the use of the river's water. He knows its history by heart.
0: In the early 1900s, the river had an average annual flow of 18 or 19 billion cubic metres of water. And all that water arrived there. The basin was two kilometers wide, so it was an extremely fast flowing river, and it reached and irrigated all this area. It was the Nile of North America.
2: The Nilo of North America. There are
0: accounts from naturalists who visited that area as far back as 1839. They documented incredible forests and wetlands as far as the eye could see. They also speak about wildlife, saying there were so many birds congregating that the sky was darkened in abundance of migratory waterfowl. And one very important thing documented is that the entire Colorado River Basin was populated by indigenous people.
2: Indigenous people.
1: He says communities lived in total harmony with nature, practising their farming and fishing according to the water cycle. But today, he sees nothing like that.
0: Today, the Colorado River is sadly mostly just a plumbing and engineering infrastructure. There are over 80 dams throughout the entire basin.
1: Over the years, the US transformed the river as the population in the American West grew. So too did demand for water. But there were issues. Between 1960 and 1980, the Colorado River dried up and stopped flowing directly to the sea on the Mexican side. When it comes to cooperation on water diplomacy between the two countries, well, it had, unlike the water itself, been flowing for decades Their communication is seen as a model worldwide. Way back in 1944, there was an initial agreement signed. It was the Mexican Water Treaty. This was during the Second World War. Germany was trying to get Mexico on its side. America needed to move fast, shoring up its allies And that's why Mexico was able to secure a 10% deal with the US for access to the Colorado River's water, plus additional or less deliveries in specific circumstances.
0: It was in the context of the Second World War and Germany was trying to get closer to Mexico. That is why Mexico had leverage to claim for the 10%.
1: But decades later, Mexico had reason to complain. The quality of the water, there and was too salty and harming its crops. This came in the midst of the first major global oil crisis of the 1970s. It was a
0: very serious and intense diplomatic crisis. Mexico was in a position as an oil producer to help the US. So when it asked Mexico for help, it said yes, but with conditions. They included international loans and the resolution to the issue of salty water. The international treaty they signed included an agreement on the salinity problem between Mexico and the US. The water to Mexico was to have the same quality from the Colorado River as was delivered to Arizona and California.
1: But the issues didn't end there. Exactly 30 years later, in 2003, the first signs of drought appeared.
2: In Estados Unidos,
0: the United States realised fairly quickly that agreements had to be made to address the shortage problem and what to do if cuts were needed.
1: But it took a further 10 years for an agreement to be reached with Mexico. It included a move to restore the environment of the River Delta. Environmentalists say this was one of the most significant international agreements on water. The then US Interior Secretary Ken Salazar described it as choosing collaboration over conflict. The deal stipulated that no matter how low the river level, the US must send Mexico enough to supply 3 million homes and Mexico could forego some of its share during droughts. Mexico was also allowed to store any surplus across the border in the vast Lake Mead, a huge reservoir by the Hoover Dam on the Arizona-Nevada border. Getting to this point of water diplomacy was never going to be simple. There's been continued years of bitter wrangling and even now issues still arise. For example, in 2020, Mexican farmers protested over sending water to the US during a drought. Simon Dalby is a Professor Emeritus at Wilford Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He specialises in the political economy of climate change.
0: The history of, of squabbles over water resources doesn't have a long history of, of, of war. The f- great fears years ago that we would be in, have lots and lots of water wars as, as the climate changed. But the history of, of, of this suggests that in crises, there's far more incentive to cooperate over what limited water is available than there is to, to fight. Not least because if you have complicated dams and irrigation systems and all the rest of it and you go to war, you end up destroying the infrastructure that you need.
1: And in Mexico, Osfel Inojosa agrees. It takes patience, he says, as well as skills and trust for this to work in the long term.
0: These are long-term, very long-term processes. You have to bring in all the relevant actors, people who know about that topic and who know about governance issues, legal issues, conflict resolution.
1: And he says they even worked on some team-building skills.
0: There was a key moment, a trip that took place in the Grand Canyon, where people from various sectors and countries were brought together on a canoe trip. I think it was for about 10 days. You take people out of the boardroom and put them in another context, then the mind opens up and relationships are formed and solutions are found.
1: I'm Anna Cunningham and this has been an AFP audio production brought to you in association with The Conversation. The producer was Camille Kaufman and the executive producer is Michaela Canceler-Kiefer. Sound design is by Nicolas Ver. If you want to read more about water crises, you can find articles written especially for our podcast by The Conversation. Links are on our page. You can reach us with your thoughts on all that we're covering here on your planet. Email us, podcasts at afp.com. As always, please do leave us a review so others know where to find us. Thanks for listening.